Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to This Week Again. I'm your host, Suzanne Posel. We're going to start off this show with What About Bob's Bribery Indictment, move on to the latest in labor strikes, and follow all of that up with our ongoing docuseries, How Trump Tower Became a Spirit Halloween. Let's begin, shall we? There's so much going on right now, it's really hard to keep up with it all. The longest-serving female senator from California, Diane Feinstein, passed away this week from being 90 fucking years old. Diane leaves a gaping hole in the Senate with Barbara Lee, Adam Schiff, and Katie Porter all on California Governor Gavin Newsom's pick-me list because Diane wanted to hold on to power till the very end, while also giving her daughter power of attorney over her personal life just weeks before she died, but (laughs) I digress. Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is now on his second indictment for bribery charges. New Jersey Democratic Senator Bob Menendez and his wife have been indicted on corruption-related charges. Menendez is the powerful chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Senator, his wife, and three New Jersey businessmen all indicted on corruption-related charges. And what authorities here allege is that Menendez and his wife had accepted hundreds of thousand dollars in bribes and then used that for some of their influence, to, to affect influence. The Department of Justice says the couple accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars of bribes from three New Jersey businessmen. Federal prosecutors allege Menendez used his influence to benefit the three men and the government of Egypt. Senator Menendez enriched himself and that he took bribes and he took, we saw gold bars, that he took cash and that he took that money in order to affect investigations, in order to um, do things like use his position as a public official and give a foreign government, the Egyptian government, sensitive information. What the actual fuck, Bob? This new bribery indictment reads like the foiled plans of a Rocky and Bullwinkle villain. (laughs) And just like the tipsters told the FBI, investigators investigating at the Menendez residence found Bob and his wife had bags of money, literal gold bars given to them from the Egyptian government, and a new Mercedes in their garage Just like that was normal. You know, this kind of shit happens all the time, right? And in what can only be described as a facepalm moment, Bribery Bob has been doing his best to deny the indictment charges to the media, at least, saying the money bags and gold bars are just all in a day's work in the Senate and something prosecutors would know nothing about. See, this is why we need to make lobbying illegal, because apparently it's actual bribery which is already illegal but bob's just doing his job and while no one gets right on that have you noticed lately it seems everyone's got a fever and the only prescription is more labor strikes it started with the writers guild and then the actors joined in and the auto workers thought hey they might be onto something so they went on strike and Now, pharmacists at CVS are striking because of understaffing and bullshit wages. CVS pharmacists across Missouri are closing their doors to protest what they are calling 
poor working conditions. Multiple CVS locations across the country will be walking out to protest. Their complaint stems from CVS's staffing, which is, quote, placing extra strain on pharmacists. This includes cutting technicians' hours, whose primary job is to assist the pharmacist. And I'm told that in oftentimes there's a lot of these locations that only have one pharmacist running the entire thing. Those pharmacists say they're stretched too thin in their positions, and they worry that it puts patients at risk. Holy fed up workers, Batman. 22 CVS stores had to close because of these walkouts, which happened to be all corporate could stand. They immediately issued an apology to everyone, with the chief pharmacy officer promising to come to the closed locations once a month to check on them now that the long-held company policy of understaffing locations has become a problem for CVS. See, the complaint that short staffing combined with inflated workloads would lead to employee fatigue was a well-known fact at CVS. But they conveniently chose to ignore that fact until this past week. Now that striking to get fair treatment at work is becoming a thing, it looks like CVS doesn't want to appear to be on the Republican side of history. Although, something tells me their micromanaging solution isn't at all what pharmacists had in mind. Oh well, as the saying goes, fuck around and find out. And speaking of companies who are about to find out, apparently what happens in Vegas is casinos are taking advantage of their workforce and the culinary and bartenders unions aren't going to let this kind of labor abuse stay in Vegas any longer. The summer of strikes has rolled into fall with Las Vegas culinary workers, bartenders and housekeepers voting overwhelmingly to authorize a strike. Hospitality workers from MGM Properties, Wynn, Caesars and more. The culinary and bartenders union have authorized to strike. 40,000 hospitality workers are ready to walk out, claiming low pay, staffing shortages and safety issues. And I love this for them because we all collectively agreed that some of us were essential workers, at least during the pandemic. So why are they now having to put up with poverty wages, being overworked because their boss refuses to hire more people, and little to no health care benefits? This is the thing that lured businesses from big companies to those itty-bitty mom-and-pop shops really need to get through their overinflated from job-creating heads. Without your employees, you are nothing. Just because you start a company does not guarantee that you will have employees to help you run it or run it for you. Plain and simple, if you abuse the people who work for you through pay that does not keep up with corporate greed, incorrectly referred to as inflation, refuse to fully staff because you don't want to spend the money on employees, and willingly neglecting to offer benefits, your employees do not owe you shit. And if the free market has its way, you'll just go out of business because you can't afford the cost of doing business. You shouldn't be doing it. And on that note, here is some good news. After nearly five months on the picket line, the Writers Guild says a tentative deal has now been reached to end the Hollywood strike. The agreement coming just five days shy of what would have been the longest Hollywood strike in more than 70 years. 
In a joint statement, the WGA and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers said they've reached a tentative agreement for a new three-year contract. The reported agreement includes increases in royalty payments for streaming content and guarantees that artificial intelligence will not encroach on writers' credits and compensation. They added a bonus structure tied to subscribers of the individual streaming services. Well, ladies and gentlemen, and all of the working class, three cheers and a golf clap to every member of the Writers Guild of America for holding the line for over 145 days. The writers came out the winners in this deal, my friends. And to explain all the things the writers have won, here is one of my favorite comedy writers, Adam Conover. That we fucking won. Guarantee that a minimum number of writers be hired on every show. A guarantee that comedy variety writers like me be paid the same in streaming as we are in TV. Provisions that mean better pay for screenwriters, better pension and health for writing teams, script fees for staff writers for the first time, and protections against AI that mean that AI can't write scripts, edit scripts, or undermine our rights and credits. And we want a success-based residual. So for the first time, when more people watch a movie or TV show on streaming, the writer that created it will make more money too. And if I may elaborate on what Adam so eloquently explained, going forward, there will be a minimum of six writers on each television or streaming series with a minimum of six episodes per season because everyone knows more hands in a cookie jar equals better writing. They'll also be guaranteed employment for 20 weeks of production for writers on any production whether film or television, of course. They're also guaranteed 10 consecutive weeks of employment during the development process of the production. And that means being a writer is back to being a full-time profession and not the rarely-time gig job that studios had turned it into over the last decade. And when it comes to streaming residuals, well, if it is a made-for-streaming show, then residuals are tied to the subscriber's account. That means the subscriber clicks on those types of shows and everyone gets a little bit of cheese. But there are no residuals for shows that were originally shown on cable networks and are now available on streaming services. And as for the AI in the room, there will be no written, rewritten, or originally generated AI coming anywhere near any writer's work. And that includes studios using writers' previous work to train AI on how to write. Neither can studios continue their sussy practice of demanding that AI be used in the writing process. And if the studio decides to use AI to write anything, they have to let everyone know. This sounds like a W to me. And while we're on the subject of workers striking, just to get the bare minimum worth of their contributions to their company's bottom line. Guess who showed up to a United Auto Workers Union plant to join the picket line? 
Now to President Biden's historic trip to Michigan to walk the picket line with United Auto Workers in their strike against Detroit's big three automakers. President Biden today inserted himself in a labor dispute in a way no other modern president has and standing shoulder to shoulder with picketers as UAW leader Sean Fain railed against corporate greed. Wearing a union ball cap and armed with a bullhorn, President Biden told the striking United Auto Workers to keep fighting for higher wages. That's right, folks. Union Joe joined the United Auto Workers strike in Michigan at a GM distribution plant where union workers have been fighting for fair wages, striking against the big three since September 5th. All decked out in a UAW cap while toting a bullhorn, Strike Force Biden became the first sitting president to walk the line with striking workers. Not only that, but this kind of publicity brings the living wage fight to the 2024 presidential election season because actions speak louder than words, especially when those actions are a poorly planned and obviously ignorant political stunt gone hilariously wrong. Roll tape. Former President Trump skipping the GOP debate for the second time tonight. He'll be speaking at an event outside Detroit addressing auto workers, but he's doing it at a non-union auto parts plant. Trump will be speaking to current and former UAW members at Drake Enterprise in Macomb County. The UAW will not be rolling out the welcome mat for him. We also know from our reporting that uh, a union source telling us that they do not consider former President Trump's visit tomorrow in Detroit at Drake Enterprises a show of solidarity with the union because that is not a union shop. However, we know that President Biden was invited directly by the union. I find a pathetic irony that the former president is going to hold a rally for union members at a non-union business. <laughs> Believe me, that irony is not wasted on you, me, or Alanis Morissette. How are you going to show up at a non-union plant when the only purpose of your political stunt is to show people you support union auto workers striking? <laughs> Dolt45 loves the poorly educated. Let's face it, folks, because he's as dumb as they are. He can't even get the location right when starring in his own production of political stunt theater, which, by the way, no one asked for. Look, we all know cognitive decline Don is skipping the Republican presidential debates because he can't even string together a coherent sentence even when he's reading from a teleprompter. And using the auto worker strike as a backdrop for a photo op of him touring a non-union plant is totally on brand for Danger Yam. We've seen him co-opt this kind of bullshit before. But what actually gets me, after all the posturing, which I realize is obviously hard for the Leaning Tower of Orange, nothing stopped the media from reporting on the twice impeached, 91 times criminally indicted, and now hilariously unemployed fraud father thanks to a New York judge and the brilliant legal stylings of one... Attorney General Letitia James, roll tape. It's a major loss in court for Donald Trump in the civil suit brought by the New York Attorney General Tish James. A New York state judge has just ruled that Donald Trump committed fraud by exaggerating the value of his assets in financial statements. Former President Donald Trump 
committed fraud and lied about his net worth for years. And according to the court documents just into us, Mr. Trump apparently, according to this judge, lied to banks and insurers, exaggerating his net worth to the tune of something like billions of dollars. The former president, through his businesses and his personal financial representations, committed fraud by overstating his personal wealth and the wealth of uh, uh, his properties, uh, how much his properties are worth, uh, even the square footage. And Ah, I love this for him. The big Lebowski has now less than 30 days to come up with a plan on how he's going to dissolve his fraud organization thanks to a New York judge's ruling on partial summary judgment. Now, for those of you in the back, partial summary judgment means the judge agrees the attorney general's evidence proves her case. That Eric Stad is a lying liar, at least when it comes to his net worth and the value of his assets. What the judge's decision means is as of immediately, all the business licenses held by the Fraud Fathers organization in New York State are invalid. Which means this is a big problem since the company itself is incorporated in New York. <laughs> in addition... The Kefefel and his children, Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, are banned from doing business in the state of New York. So it sounds to me like Trump Tower is soon going to be a spirit Halloween. But the fun doesn't stop there. See, all of Voldemort's properties are owned by the fraud organization, formerly known as Trump, either directly or through a subsidiary, which means Trump Tower, Mar-a-Lago, the hotel in Las Vegas, and even the golf course in Scotland are all up for, I don't know, liquidation? And the court has authorized a conservatorship to handle this disillusion of YMCA Hull's assets, including his cash on hand. <laughs> Dingus Khan doesn't even have access to his bank accounts because it's all company property. <laughs> could have happened to a more deserving grifter. And while we're on the subject of liars getting caught lying, the tangerine ball bag made an appearance at a gun show and apparently purchased a gun or didn't? Hmm. Roll tape. The Trump campaign is sort of walking back a post that they put of the uh, former president in South Carolina being sh shown a gun. And he kind of says, oh, I'd like to buy that. And the post actually says he bought a gun. And then they took the post down and right. said that he didn't. It, it would be tricky for him if he does buy that gun. There is a federal law that prohibits those indicted on felony charges from purchasing a gun. And Trump, of course, has dozens of felony charges related to those cases about the 2020 election. Well, duh. First off, you can't purchase a gun if you're under federal indictment. And we all know Old Drinks With Two Hands has four indictments and 91 criminal charges against him so far, which is probably why the post went up and then right back down, seeing as that post would probably be seen as a admission to a crime. But this was to be only a momentary sigh of relief for Dumpster Fire's campaign staff, because little did they know the Paleolithic divorcee from Georgia, Congresswoman Major Twant Gangreen, was filming the entire gun-buying thing and then letting the world know about it. I feel like this from Wow. Good 
and they sell well. They like it. I'm going to buy one. Sir, you want one? No, I want to buy one. I want to buy one. Ah, it must be tough being his campaign staffer. Thoughts and prayers. I really do feel bad, though, because that recording I just played is available all over the Internet and hopefully in special counsel Jack Smith's inbox by now. And I almost forgot. There's also a clip of Monster Truck Garage and her new BF on Newsmax explaining exactly how the four times indicted traffic cone of treason purchased a gun. President Trump found a gun he liked. It was a Glock. And it had it had a beautiful uh, uh, picture of him on the side of the Glock. And he said, I'd like to buy this gun. I heard him say that. <laughs> and I was behind him when he said it. And I said, well, I think he said... He wants to buy that gun, so we can confirm that President yeah, Trump uh, I got, a picture got, that, for you. got that gun today. Look, let me show you. It's it great. Was... Oh, damn, those pick-me maggots always going on national television and giving detailed accounts of the crimes that you've been criming. I just hope for you, former presidents, at the end of all of this is a rest of your life in prison sentence. Thoughts and prayers. And that's all I have to say about that. New episodes of This Week Again air every Sunday. Follow the show on social media wherever you can find us. This Week Again is available for your listening pleasure on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening to this show and to Der for now.